0: Kia ora everyone. Good evening. Nga nui. It's great to have you with us and those joining at home. of haramai. Great to have you among us. It's a joy and a privilege to uh, to preach and to bring a word to you tonight. Um, again, it's been a, a pretty cool series and I have to say I'm pretty stoked about the people who've been contributing. So thank you Mon and to Craig and to Noah who've all contributed in the series. Um, I love what... What Mon's been saying each time, she said, Jesus has in his ministry in the, in the book of Luke either been going to a meal uh, to join people at a table, he's been sitting at a table, or he's been leaving a meal. And uh, there's actually about 11 different stories of Jesus being at a meal or around a table in the book of Luke, and we're only looking at about six of them. So in your own time, you can go and look for some of those other ones. But one of the things that I've loved about this series, and I've I've really um, being able to engage, because usually I'm the one doing all the preaching, and so I'm like engaging with the Word, but to be, uh, to be blessed by others uh, has been fantastic. But the way in which throughout the series we've understood something new about connection and care and community. Uh, the words that um, I guess sometimes in a big church context like we are, uh, we can feel a little bit lost in that. And uh, it's how to make something small in the big. And I think we've been learning a little bit more about that um, as we've been going through this series. And I love that um, Jesus is made manifest among us through community, through a meal, being around a table together. And uh, we get to enjoy that again tonight uh, out there, thanks to Brittany. Uh, Mon and I were just hanging out and we're talking about the series and we said, wouldn't it be cool to have meals and then we realized the logistical nightmare. Uh, And then Bree just said, I got it, I'll do it. And so all these six weeks, Bree's been doing that, so you give her a high five on the way out. Um, Don't give her a hug, because she might give you a high five in the face. But um, give her a high five, she's amazing. She's made that work for us, so uh, what a blessing. Last week, Monica, um, i have to say that that message you brought to us was profound. It was profound. Uh, it was a meal where Jesus at some Peter the Pharisee's house and the uh, the, the woman who was um, a prostitute coming in and washing Jesus' feet. And I love that contrast of the two types of grace that were being showed there. This grace to someone who was broken at the same table as someone who is unforgiving and and um, uptight about what these uh, traditions were sort of being broken around. I love that. I love the heart. And you, no one could appreciate it unless... You preach that, like the way you preach it, I should have said. Um, the washing of the, uh, the with the tears and the hair, oh, so good, so good. Um, if you've missed any of our um, series, you can uh, go online. They're all on their um, video. Uh, please do go and catch up on those, um, and we'll get into tonight. So uh, this is the last in the series, um, and as uh, we have, over these past few weeks, um, been enjoying these meals together, I wonder... What has Jesus uh, in those past few weeks been challenging you with? Um, I guess there's, there's elements that we've touched on right through the series, but what I don't want is for us to just be preaching, opening the word together, and then you go, and we go, that was nice. It was nice to be together, had a good feed, but actually not taking that word and applying it to your life. And I think each week as we've gone through the series, each one of us has left you with a lingering question, something to to wrestle with um, in your own time. So I encourage you to go back and check some of those out, write them down tonight, um, because they will be life-changing for you. Uh, So tonight's message is all about when Jesus is near but unrecognized, when Jesus is close to us but we don't get to see him uh, in, that, in that space. And uh, it's from a, a very um, popular story in Luke's gospel. Um, it's the story uh, of the the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. And the thing that I, I love about this story in a lot of ways is, as one commentator put it, is the the quintessential story in the book of Luke. Now, I'd say sitting right alongside that is the prodigal son story for me from Luke 15. But I have to agree, this is a profound story. And I hope as we get into it uh, tonight that you'll you'll get a little something from it. But before I open the word, let me pray. Uh, Lord, as one of our songs have already told us tonight, uh, Lord, we do nothing uh, without the, the, the control and the leading of your spirit. And so, Lord, um, nothing good comes unless you bring it and you bring life to these things. And so, Lord, as we open this word, as we reflect from uh, Luke's gospel, may you speak to us by your spirit and may we have ears to hear tonight. Uh, We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Luke 24, Uh, we're going to be going from uh, verses 13 right through to 37 or 35. I think it is. Jesus has just been crucified. The disciples are all together, and um, this story picks up these two disciples heading home to Emmaus along this road. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a time where you'll, you'll see just different emotions coming out, and I want you to try and work out what's going on in the story. It is a brilliant story, and, uh, and we'll reflect on a little bit more as we go along. The ladies have just returned from uh, seeing Jesus' tomb empty, and going there to anoint him and running back, and they're still um, unconvinced that this is true and that Jesus is risen. And so we pick up the story in verse 13 of Luke 24, and I'll give you a bit of context as we go along. Now that same day, two of them we're going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. It could be anywhere between 15 and 20 people have measured it, uh, 20 kilometers um, people have measured it today. Uh, they were probably going home from a festival, something like Passover, or um, there's a bunch of festivals during that time. We've, we've talked about that before. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, that's the way the NIV puts it. It wasn't that God put blindfold on them. It was just that they were blind to him actually walking with them. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? As if he didn't know. And they stood still, their faces downcast, absolutely hopeless. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one in Jerusalem Who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And I could imagine being that guy, like, bro, like, you've just come from Jerusalem too, haven't you? I mean, this is Jesus, so you know, you could imagine saying that to the Son of God. He says, and then Jesus says to him, "What things?" He asked, as if he didn't know what was going on about Jesus of Nazareth, And this is where they go, go on to explain to him. And in some ways condemn themselves through the story. This is me fiddling with my mic, sorry. And they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and their rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. And then this profound few words, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what more, it is the third day since this all took place. Third day kind of makes sense. Anyway, um, it's the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they, uh, had been, uh, they had seen a vision of angels uh, who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did, uh, but they did not see Jesus. Uh, they had a man look, that's what I'd say. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him, hence the long walk. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if He was going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. Bit of hospitality, bit of fanonatanga. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them in a way that they probably understood. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. (laughs) Gone. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up. And returned at once, so they've just walked 20k home. They got up straight away and back they went to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two, uh, then the two told what had happened on their way home and how Jesus had been recognized by them after a while uh, when he had broken bread. I love this story. It's such a good story. It's got everything in it: drama, suspense, sorrow. Uh, there's this um, this gradual dawning of um, recognition. There's excitement and urgency. There's this this going between two places. You can you can almost put yourself right there in the middle of the drama. One commentator said it's both wonderful and the spellbinding tale. I love it. And a model for a great deal of what being a Christian from that day to this is all about. I absolutely agree. You see, the reason why I agree with them is because I can put myself in the position of Cleopas. I've done it many times where I've gone, how did I not recognize God in the midst of that? How foolish are you? How can you not see this? the one who was influenced even blinded by their culture that would be me and permeated by the world's standards this culture a culture that counters much of what jesus has called me to live into i am the one i am cleopas who looked at the circumstances around him and said you know what i i had hoped something was different but even though scripture tells me this and it, there's just something not right. A couple of years of walking with Jesus, and this is where they're at. Makes you feel good about yourself sometimes. <laughs> that actually, after many years of walking with Jesus, I didn't actually walk with him physically, but you know, walking with him, I still get blinded by my culture and the surroundings to what he's doing among people, among us as his church. I often find myself here in those words. You see, we live today in a world where Jesus is near but unrecognized because we are blinded by the circumstances, the things around us. Scripture tells us this, but we see this. Why is this not this? And so it's easy to just throw those things aside and carry on with the way we think life should be. Well, tonight, I want to focus on just two elements from the story. There's so many good elements within the story, but I want to focus just on two that make sense of our journey in terms of the table. Um, And these two elements, for me, I hope for you as well, uh, open me to a burning heart moment, the same burning heart moment that those disciples on the road came to. Are you with me? All right. Here's the two things I want us to look at tonight. Jesus is made manifest and recognized as Christ is made known through his word. As he's made known through his word. And as Christ is being known and made known in community and around the table. Okay? They were walking on the road. What got open to them? The scriptures. They got back to the place sat down, Jesus broke bread around the table, and in that community they went, okay? These are the two things we're gonna be looking at tonight. All right, now after the disciples had laid out their disappointment, their lack of faith with a complete stranger, okay? What is the first thing he does? He says these words, he says, did not the Messiah, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus used scripture. The son of God used scripture to talk about himself. Yeah? He, he could have just said, I'm the son of God. Look, watch this. you got a hole in my hand. Put your finger in here like he did to Thomas, right? He used scripture. He used scripture. He was in a renewed body and all these sorts of things. But, you know, he used scripture to describe himself and make it real to them. Now, this would have been probably the Hebrew Bible. Okay, and the Hebrew Bible goes from uh, Genesis to Chronicles. It's it's made up of twenty four books, which is the thirty seven books of our Old Testament. Okay, they just condense a couple of them down. To the minor prophets, all twelve of them, are in one. They're all in one one book. Anyway, <clears throat> they're, they're in the Jewish um, custom. They're in they're in sixteen scrolls. Okay, um, do you want me to change? I changed mics, eh? let's change mics. I'll turn this off and take a. Go on, Darren. There you go, Darren. Making it work. I don't know, maybe. Magic hands, <clears throat> magic hands. If it keeps going, I'll change. That's all good. Anyway, <laughs> my point being is that uh, Jesus was incognito, but he knew the words of Scripture, and uh, as would have these devout disciples who you know knew their Bibles. Um, they weren't um, sort of up there with being you know rabbi disciple status like. Um, we were talking about this morning, what Pastor Craig was talking about this morning, but they were in that space where they would have known scripture by heart because it's too expensive to own scrolls. And so this is a oral learning culture. And so it would have been washing over them. And so Jesus goes to scripture to make himself and his mission known. <clears throat> and so many people that I read this week said, I wonder what scriptures they would have gone to. So I went looking, And I went to Deuteronomy because they would have had Deuteronomy. They would have had Moses writings. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses is saying this. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Okay. That seems a bit, okay, that's a bit broad. We go a bit deeper, maybe into Isaiah in uh, in chapter 7. I love Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. I can imagine Jesus going through these different scriptures. And then he probably, you know, because he can recite them, he would have gone somewhere like my favorite, Isaiah 53. He was said, um, He grew up before them like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, That was saying that Jesus wasn't a good-looking man, just saying. Um, And then it would have gone down. He was despised, and we held him in low uh, low esteem. Then down here, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Okay, we're building a story here. Uh, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich, and in his death, uh, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will, to crush him, to cause him to suffer. After he had suffered, uh, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. I mean, you're going through, and it's like painting a pretty clear picture just from Isaiah 53. There was um, when I when I did a little search, um, there was over 600 individual references which I could have, put 600. I think Jesus probably went through all 600 on a 20K journey on the way back. I'm pretty sure of that, going, hello, I'm right here. And yet they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. And this went on for the whole trip back to Jerusalem. Uh, Sorry, to Emmaus. It would have been a clincher for me getting Isaiah 53. But the thing is, I know the story, don't I? See, I, I live in a cultural context that was away from the one that they're in. I've got the big story and the big plan. I've got the whole of scripture. Of course, I look at them and go, don't cough, you know, crazy. What's wrong with you? Why didn't you get it? You see, the disciples had in their minds, and this is a part of their context, a king that would come who would conquer. A king that would come and drive out enemies. The kings uh, who are in his lineage Solomon, David, who, who you, know, you know, Saul got a thousand and David got 10,000, you know. This is the kind of king that they had in mind, the kind of savior that would come and bring Jerusalem, bring Israel, the people back into strength, military power, physical strength. But God was doing something different, wasn't he? Or well, we know that. So we we think we're a bit smart. God was doing something different to what their prevailing culture had shaped them to think. Their prevailing culture made them think that way, that was the way a king was gonna come. They had a cultural moment that blinded them. You see, the cultural moment, the the pain-filled suffering savior on a cross, it didn't compute. It didn't connect the dots of what they were saying. Although when you read Isaiah 53, you go, that makes sense. It didn't make sense for them. They found themselves in a space shaped by how the present powers wanted them shaped. They found themselves uh, in a place of, what do I call, uh, what are they? Um, No, I won't go there. I had another word. No, it's gone. See, these scriptures, they knew. They had written on their hearts. Most of them would have had them committed to memory. They got clouded and hidden, uh, hidden by the loudest and most visible thing in that moment, that cultural moment. It's one of my favorite... Uh, skip through, not that way, that way. One more. My bad. Um, there's a guy called N.T. Wright. He's one of my favorite um, commentators and scholars. And he says... They had been seeing it as a long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But it was instead a story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. Hmm. They missed it. That's how they missed it. See, the disciples just couldn't conceive that an all conquering king, in their cultural moment, would need to suffer and die to save them makes no sense to them. There was a paradox between what should have happened and what was happening. You see, the what should happen in their minds were shaped by their culture and not by scripture. Uh, this week, I read about an Instagram um, influencer. How many follow any Instagram influencers? I've got a friend who's an Instagram influencer just gets a whole bunch of free stuff. It's amazing. Anyway, this Instagram influencer was devastated because they decided that they would remove likes from their posts. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my life is worth nothing now that the likes have been removed from my posts. Oh, I laugh at that, but Every time you put something significant on Facebook or anything else, and you go and you just see, you just have a casual look to see how many people have had a look, how many likes you've got, how many comments you've got. That was way more profound than the likes I got. How many of you thought that? No one's going to put their hand up. Of course not. We're all holy in here. That cultural moment that she's in, that influencer, that's her world. And the world tells you that's what that's what's valuable. You see, her insecurities are founded because of the cultural moment which she lives in. I've got some friends at the moment tonight who are leading a church service uh, on the Makoto Marai grounds, uh, the Ihumato. Uh, most of you might have seen this in the news. Um, I've got friends there at the moment who are leading uh, this worship time there with with a whole bunch of other people. To talk with them uh, at the moment, they might be watching. Um, they were invited to do that. It's a, it's a hotbed of issues going on there. I'm not going to say where I stand on that particular issue, but in that moment, in this cultural moment that they're in, they feel like that's the right thing to do as followers of Jesus. And so they're in that, in that space. And so I say these things. I wonder, how is your world being shaped and influenced more by the prevailing culture of today and of our time, than by the truth of scripture. Let me throw a few more controversial topics out there uh, that popular media tell us about and how our cultural context is shaping you on these things. What about marriage? I think it's awesome you guys got engaged, but currently marriage for this age group is an unusual, crazy thing, like. It'd be odd to see those sorts of things. Doing, you know, like um, gender reveals of babies, all these sorts of things, pretty cool. Marriage, not so cool. What about sexuality and gender? What does our current culture tell you about that? What about euthanasia? Euthanasia, what about that? What about, uh, what else have I got here? Uh, What about the environment? What is, what is, culture tell you about enviro- the environment? What does scripture say about these things? How many of you have gone looking? I wonder. You see, we are shaped by the loudest voice that we allow to penetrate. And see, these, these disciples who were walking on this road, Jesus opened the scriptures to them to reveal to them the truth they already knew, the truth that was about who he was and what he was going to do. He revealed himself through Scripture. What does, what does Scripture say about justice? How is it being shown today to you? See, Charles Spurgeon, one of my other favorite guys in the world, he says this, he says, I believe that one reason why the church of God has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. He wrote that in 1850 or earlier, probably 1840, at a time when the church was the center of society. Times have changed. He said that back then. Imagine what he'd say now. Jesus went to Scripture, to the, to the Hebrew Bible, to explain and make sense of the faith journey that they found themselves walking on. And the very person standing before them in the flesh was the one that he was revealing through the words they knew, through the scriptures they knew. You see, I believe that scripture has a supernatural power upon it to reveal life and the life of faith in Jesus and the power of God in us. This hope-filled living that becomes something that we do, not just sits here and sits here. We live into it. It changes the way we think about the environment. It changes the way we think about marriage. It changes the way we deal with sexuality and gender. It should, but does it? That is what I think he's pointing to in this. So we have Jesus explaining and interpreting the scriptures with them, uh, But then he, again, in the second mode of this, goes into Christ being known and revealed in community over a table and over a meal. Verse 30, it says this, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. There would have been something really familiar about that moment. Maybe he sat a certain way and he broke the bread a certain way and he said the words exactly like he'd said it many, many times as they did that. Their eyes were opened at that moment. Um, I, have a, I have a couple of people that if they say a word, I know who it is. <laughs> My old um, principal, who's now the national leader of the, the Baptist movement, Charles Hewlett, he says Jesus in a certain way. Jesus. <laughs> he says it like that. Um, when I was, when I was uh, doing a course in Revelation, our lecturer was Laurie Guy, who was one of my mentors, and he always followed one of his great profound thoughts with a story from Papua New Guinea when he lived there. <laughs> I know who's talking to me by the way in which their mannerisms, their voice, the way that they and he would have sat there like this. <laughs> you know, eyes closed for most of the three-hour lecture and told you everything that was just like profound. But you knew who it was by their mannerism, by the way they talked. This was that moment for them. I think this is an important detail because scripture tells us what faith looks like and we get to enact it and encounter it in community. Jesus sat down with them. He walked in, he opened, after opening the scriptures, he took a physical loaf and we all understand what that is now, but for them, how profound would it have been in that moment to recount when Jesus went back to them. Every time, some of them would have been in that upper room when he did it. Some would have been sitting there just going, what? No way, no way. But the actual symbolism of that moment, broken for you, the long-suffering servant is here. See, the promise relayed in Scripture was being enacted right in front of them. Jesus' resurrected life changes everything. It transforms, it renews, it brings life to people and places. Why? Because it's not just a story that's nice. It's the reality of eternal life for you and me. See, Jesus sat in a group, opening scriptures, eating food, talking about who he was. He was revealed in community around food. When scripture is read and lived out in community, our heart burns within us. There's this aha moment. See, a few years ago, um, I went on trip and I had this book by Henry Nguyen and it was about the the picture that Rembrandt did of the prodigal son. And Henry Nguyen sat in front of that picture for about four days and he just wrote. He was so captivated by this picture from uh, from Rembrandt, that he, he just wept and sat in front of days up. You can imagine in the museum there's this old guy sitting in front of the same picture. And he wrote this book, um, and I read that book, and he explains each of the characters and the stories, and, and, um, and it was just profound, just the way in which the sun in that picture is – I should have got it, put it up, sorry about that um, – is in the darkness, the older son sitting back in the darkness with his head down. It was just profound. But I was reading it sitting in Kolkata. India. And the context in which you sit and read those kind of things transforms the way you read it. As you read it and think, am I the older brother treating these people on this street the same way? I wasn't just thinking about how this applies to my life in New Zealand. It was applying to my life here and now in this place with this overwhelming picture right before me. This is what I think those particular disciples would have felt, that burning heart moment within us when Scripture makes absolute sense to us. I had a video I was going to show you. I couldn't get hold of it because it was on News Hub and you're not know, allowed to t- take things from News Hub. Um, but it's about this uh, this group of people who in Glen Ennis in Auckland, they've gone and on the big bare walls in their community, they've, they've put murals, really nice murals, really um, amazing artwork, and they've done it to transform the community because when there's big bare walls, what happens? Pss, 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 it just gets littered with tagging. And they've found just by doing something transformative <laughs> as putting a mural on the wall, no more tagging. In fact, people love the community. They love walking around the community because they can see these amazing things on the wall. You see, for me, that's a picture of what faith lived out in us, means renewal of people and places. Scripture transforms us so we can transform the world to bring renewal, to bring restoration. The resurrected life of Jesus in us is to bring that truth to life in our communities. We do it in small groups. We do it around our dinner table. I was out um, having dinner at someone's house watching the rugby on Saturday. I mean, in that moment, there there was just that community vibe which I was just like this is awesome this is so good that was a burning heart moment you think oh that's a bit it's a bit you know small but that is what the scriptures are doing in us this is what our faith journey with Christ does it allows scripture to shape us in community for the renewal of people and places Invite the band to come. Tonight, um, they're going to come and lead us in a song. I've got some questions which are going to be out in the cafe. So as you eat dinner, you can discuss these questions. All right? Don't just stuff your face and go back for fourths. Okay? Uh, I want you to reflect on these questions Is Jesus near but unrecognized in your faith journey? There'll be some part that you're absolutely blinded by culture too, because he's not in that, in that moment. Then the second is, what is happening in this cultural moment, 2019, what's happening in this cultural moment that is blinding us to Jesus' resurrecting life in us and through us to bring renewal to people and places? Okay? Profound questions. Maybe you'll get through one over dinner. I don't know. The last one is, when was your last burning heart moment? The time where you realize, man, Jesus is in this. This has got scripture written all over it. Man, I am so compelled to do something right now, but I'm just going to hold back a bit. And in community, when you recognize that Jesus resurrecting life among you, where have you recognized it somewhere else? Okay, Three little questions that I want you to reflect on at the end of the series and at the end of this evening over a meal. As the team leads us tonight, we love to be able to pray for people as always. Um, we uh, are gonna eat together. Don't worry, there's plenty. You will not miss out. If you want prayer tonight, please do come um, and we'll reflect on these a little bit later together. Cool.